You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. I really love you, God. So thankful for your church and life in it. I want to talk about that today because I believe you've put that in my heart to do. And I just ask you to help me that I may decrease and you will increase through me today. Would you speak to our hearts about your church a little bit? Holy Spirit, would you lead us and, 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 and guide us? Would you challenge us and, and change us today? Would you be glorified in this time as we share together? Help us as we're growing, as we're trying to be more like you. Help us to serve and to love, to commit. Help us, Lord, to not be afraid to give ourselves to one another in relationship and in covenant. God, use this time to, uh, to just inspire us to be your church as you would want us to be. And uh, we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're starting a new series today. You know, we've just gone through this whole little series of, of being set apart, being sanctified, and, and, and really making 2014 a year of distinction in service to God and, and in serving Him. So uh, now we're going to move into talking about what it means to be in covenant life together. And, and we're going to use our covenant membership, the, the items that I shared with these new members today. We're going to break some of those apart. We won't take everything apart in this series, but several of those things we're going to break apart in this series and look at them and, 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 and share them with you. Uh, and so I want to sort of introduce that to you today, and I'd like to take you into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to do that, and I'd like to read from there. I'm going to read a, uh, a, a number of, of verses here, uh, and uh, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open with me. Now, I am in the, the English Standard Version, uh, but I'd love for you to open your Bible and, and go through it with me. It's going to be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible and you want to use one, we have some uh, black ones on, on the, the unit in the back, and you can grab one of those. And if you don't have a Bible or you don't have the English Standard Version and you would like one, feel free to, to uh, take one that we have out in the big room. Please leave the dark black ones here um, because we use them back here in the sanctuary. But we have Bibles that you can take with you that are the English Standard Version, and we would love for you to be able to do that if you would like to. So they are out in the main room, Okay. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading at verse 12 here. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves, that would mean like servants and bond servants as well, or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less 
a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, meaning members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way, he says. Bless the reading of the word. We think membership, or we take membership here very seriously. We, we think very seriously about it. We take it very seriously. And and so the, the bigger part of this, this introductory message is it, it will be to consider with you some of the, the biblical support for church membership. I'm going to advocate today to you that you need to join a church. All right? I'm not advocating that you necessarily have to join Life Church, although that would be my preference and I think it's the best church. Uh, you can join whatever church you like, but you need to join a church. All right? And a lot of people don't even think that the concept of membership is even biblical or, or expected by God. I, w- I want to read for you from uh, this book that I've recommended to you. I'm going to read out of uh, chapter 9. And uh, I, I want to just read this sort of so it sets the tone and it's sort of a springboard for me to, to, to work off of here. And uh, Grins is talking about the church and in particular uh, what he calls the pioneer community. And he's actually talking about the church's identity here. So if you will, just listen with me and let me read uh, three or four paragraphs to you here. What is the church? Consider the language we use. We often talk about the church as if it were simply a building. My church is on the corner of First and Main, we say. Sometimes we equate church with the worship service. Are you going to church next Sunday, we ask? Or... What are you going to do after church today? You're going to a baptism. And occasionally, we speak of the church as an organization we join. I have decided to move my membership to First Church, we announce. Or, are you church members, we ask people we meet? Is this what the church is? 
Is the church a great structure of bricks, wood, and mortar? Is the church a building in which worship services are held on Sundays? Or is the church the Sunday service themselves? Is church an event we can attend? Then again, is the church rather a giant organization? Is it a society or a club in which each of us may choose to hold membership if we see fit? No! None of these popular uses of the term gets at what the church actually is. To understand the church, we must ask the question, what is the church from the viewpoint of the Bible? When we do so, we receive a startling response. Viewed from the biblical perspective, the church is people. But not just any people. The church is a special people, a people whom the Spirit is forming together into a community. And the purpose of this community is to live as we continue to emphasize in fellowship with God, each other, and creation, thereby pointing in the direction that the Lord is taking all of history. In short, the church is the pioneer community, It is that people who are seeking to point toward the future God has in store for creation. Under the guidance of the Spirit, this people desires to live out in the present the glorious community for which God created us. To say that the church is the pioneer community means, to put it succinctly, that it is a relational people, a future-oriented people, a fellowshipping people. It's a great sermon outline right there. The church is a relational people. The church of Jesus Christ is not a club we join. We're not members of a gigantic organization. Rather, we are a special people. We are a people in relationship with God who saves us through Christ and a people in relationship to each other who together share in God's salvation. This focus on people in relationship is evident in the ways in which the early Christians spoke about their fellowship. The ecclesia. Even the Greek word translated church highlights this people orientation. Today we tend to regard the word as part of the language of Zion. One of those special terms we use when we want to speak about matters of faith. Yet the early believers did not coin the term. The early church found in this term a helpful way of expressing their own sense of identity. They were people called together as well. They were called out. They were the called out ones. They had been called out of the world by the proclamation of the gospel for the purpose of belonging to God through Christ. Their choice to designate who they were indicates that the New Testament believers viewed the church as neither an edifice nor an organization. They were a people, a people brought together by the Holy Spirit, a people bound to each other through Christ, hence a people in relationship. That's a powerful message. To begin to understand that your life is no longer your own and that you are in this with others for purpose, and that it is a God-ordained and God-called thing 
or dynamic that is going on. I want that to grip us as we go forward as life, church. I want people to see and understand, just as Pastor Dennis and his wife commented, we've not seen a church like this, where they, they come together like this, and they work together like this, and they have fun doing it. There are many benefits, many, many benefits of a, a vital congregation. Uh, they're available to anyone who becomes involved, member or not. I, I want you to understand that. You, there are benefits to coming to this church, even if you are not a covenant member. That's why some of you come, and you're not members yet. You, there are benefits, that, there are things that you enjoy. But I believe that there is a succinct rationale for a serious and a formal membership, and I want to try to convince you of that today, all right? We, we here in Life Church refer to our members as covenant members, and, and so let me just take a moment as we start here to, to, to talk about that word covenant. What, what is covenant? You know, what does that mean? What is covenant? A covenant is generally defined as a, a written agreement or a promise, and it's usually under seal between uh, two or more uh, parties, especially uh, for the, the performance of some kind of action. There's an agreement that goes on between the two, okay? And, and within the Bible, we find a number of examples of covenant. Uh, some are between God and, 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 and men. Uh, we find these like in, in Genesis, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Hosea, in the book of Jeremiah, Matthew. You see these covenants between God and man. While there are others that are just solely between man and, and man. All right, they, they take place between two individual peoples. You'll see that in first, both First and Second Samuel. We hear this word covenant. And, and, we, and we, we think of it as it relates to church membership, but we also immediately, I think, in our minds, we just go to that context of marriage. And our first thought is when we, when we use the word covenant, we say, oh, oh no, I, I can't get out of this. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't then move. And so it seems like covenant membership scares people. And I've had people talk to me about this and di dialogue this, this with me a little bit, all right? Your, your covenant with the Lord is like that, all right? You're even referred to as the bride of Christ. So in your relationship with Jesus, yes, there's this, this marriage type of covenant, all right? Your, your covenant with life church is a little bit different. Although it is very serious, it is very sacred, it, it is a little bit different than that, all right? It is an agreement between two parties, you as the covenant member and us as the leadership of life church, all right? And if life church doesn't live up to its commitment, I want to tell you something. If the, if the pastors of life church in their theology and their practice go south, so to speak, I don't know why people use that term negatively, go south. I just, I just thought about that. Um, I, for you who are visitors, I'm from the South, if you didn't already catch on to that. Uh, but, but, but if we go South, so to speak, you know, um, and you express your concern to the elders and the leadership, and there's no correction or no change in this church, then you shouldn't go somewhere else. You shouldn't stay in that kind of covenant relationship if the church is dangerous, if the church is unsafe, if the church is unbiblical. You don't stay there. All right? That's the purpose of having elders. That's the purpose of having overseers from, from on the outside. It's to help us to stay true to Scripture 
and to stay on target as, as the pastoral team and, and as, as the elders. That's why you have a body of elders in this church to, to look after the pastors and, and to, to guard them and, and, and guide them and, and, and correct them when they need to be corrected. And pastors do need to be corrected at times. Timothy Keller and Redeemer Presbyterian Church talk about church membership this way, and I love this, and, and I, I just want to share some of the things that, that, that he and the, and the church say. They say, to be a member of a church is to make a public promise to live according to the word and to support the work of the congregation. That's what you guys did today. You made a public promise. In the Bible, this is called a covenant. Every believer is part of the church when we think about it as an organism, the spiritual body of Christ, that is, all right? But only by a public promise can someone be part of the church as an organization. A public promise or a covenant is the basis for all society according to the Bible. Marriage, employment, citizenship, church membership, etc. are all relationships of accountability. Membership in a church is not like membership in a social club or other organization. Sounds familiar, sounds a lot like Grand's, doesn't it? The Church of Christ is a completely different community. Membership means ministry and service. Going from being a consumer to becoming a provider of God's love and care to others. Most organizations' members are consumers, aren't they? The organization exists to serve them. The Church of Christ is a completely different kind of community. We exist to serve others. So like Redeemer Prez and, and Timothy Keller, we at Life Church take very seriously that we are a church not for ourselves, but for others. Please understand that. When you come to Life Church and you join in covenant relationship here, you are joining not for yourself, but you are joining for others. And folks, you are not joining just for other covenant members. It's a wonderful relationship we have with each other as covenant members. And there is support there and strength there and encouragement there and empowerment there and all of these kinds of things that help us to grow together as the body. But you are called to the world to go and make disciples. And so Life Church exists to fulfill the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you come into this body and you, you covenant with one another, you are covenanting for those on the outside. I would like to talk to you about five things briefly here. And uh, just, just, just kind of show you how there are these strands that seem to flow through the scriptures that, that prove to us, if you will, they demonstrate to us that indeed church membership is vital and that it is biblical. And I, I, I use the term strand uh, because I, I like it. I, 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 other pastors have used it, and I've enjoyed hearing them talk in, in this way. Uh, but, I, but I use this because, you know, there's reference in the, in the Scriptures how that a three-stranded cord is, is, is not easily broken, all right? Um, and I would say that a five- or six-strand cord would be even more solidified and stronger. And so I want to try to give you some things, and I want you to try to weave them together so that, that from them you can see the value of covenant relationship and, and covenant membership in the church, all right? And so I'm going I'm to address several areas, and from that I want us to see 
um, that, that it is implied here that there has to be some type of membership, some type of covenant that, that goes on. And we're going to talk about this first one a bit more in a, in a different sermon in this series. And Pastor Dave is going to uh, preach that sermon. I asked him to do that in particular because he's already preached on it once in Life Church uh, many months ago. And uh, it is the, the area of church discipline. And he did a fabulous, fabulous job with it. And so I would like for him to, to, to take that on again. Uh, but I think membership is implied in the fact that the church is to discipline its members. Church membership is obvious to me in the way that the church is supposed to discipline those in it. Consider the, the implications, if you will, of, of Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 15, where the, the church, this, this, uh, this group, if you will, appears to be the, the final court of appeal in the matters of church authority, especially as it relates to membership. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Well, now that doesn't sound like, like membership, does it? If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. All right, but now let's look at the next step. But if he doesn't listen to you, all right, then take another brother or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. All right, you're going to take a couple more of the members of the church along with you and you're going to go back to this brother and you're going to appeal to this brother a second time. All right, now let's look at it. But if he refuses to listen to them, what do you do? You tell it to the church. What church? The church that you all are members of. All right? You, you go to that particular body, if you will. All right? If there's, if there's no church membership, if there's no uh, uh, joining together, how, how can you define the group that it will, will be that will take up this sort of very sensitive and weighty matter of, of exhorting this unrepentant kind of person um, and possibly finally rendering some kind of judgment about his or her standing in your community, especially in your community of faith. It's hard to believe that, that just anyone who showed up claiming to be a Christian could be a part of that sort of a gathering. It doesn't make sense, does it, really? And I don't think we would want that. That wouldn't be safe for us, if, if you will, all right? So surely the church that is spoken of here is a definable group of people who are, are given the responsibility to handle such a, a weighty matter, such an issue, all right? So then, you know who you mean when you take it to the church. You know who you're going to. You know who these individuals are, the seasoned veteran elders and leaders of the church. Let's go a little further with that. I think it's also implied because the, the dynamic of excommunication exists in Scripture. Church membership is implied by the simple fact that excommunication even exists. You know, and Paul, Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Um, and, and this is where he deals with this necessity of putting someone literally out of the church. And he says in verse 12, what, what, what have I to do with judging outsiders, meaning those who are unbelievers, those who are outside the church? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? We are to deal with each other with, within the context of the church. God judges those outside. And then he gives that, that really, really unfortunate 
and, and sad act that must follow if someone who has become a believer and is in the church and is a member refuses to be repentant and to change. He says, purge the evil person from among you. That can't just be done randomly. That can't just be done in, in some casual or flippant kind of way. There has to be some kind of system that is in place. There's, there's really two implications here. One is that there is an in-the-church group, and two, there is an outside-the-church group. And being in the church is definable by Scripture. And, and the other implication is that a person can be removed from being in the church. And then they are outside the church again. And such a formal removal would, would not be possible, I don't believe, if there were no such thing as clear membership and who is accountable as a part of this body and who is not and who is in leadership and has authority over uh, the particular body. Are you following me with this? Are you understanding what I'm saying here? This is very, very important for us to understand in terms of uh, covenant membership. And another thread in this is that Christians are required, according to Scripture, to submit to their leaders. And we're going to talk about authority during this series a bit. Church membership, again, is implied by the fact that, that there is a biblical requirement of a Christian or a believer to be submitted to a group of church leaders, elders, pastors. And the point here is that, that without membership, who is it that the New Testament is referring to to who must submit to a specific group of leaders. Some kind of expressed willingness is going on here. Some kind of covenant relationship or agreement or commitment is happening, which I believe that is membership. And that has to precede a person's uh, submission to a group of leaders. No one's, if, if I go out there into the neighborhood and say, hey, you need, to, you, you need to be under my leadership, you need to be under my spiritual authority... What are people going to say? Well, how are they going to react to that? Yeah, right. But in the house, in the context of the local body, there is a designated leadership. And we are, we are submitting ourselves first to God. And in trust to God, we are submitting ourselves then to the leadership that he has placed over us. And we believe that that leadership is for us as we enter into this covenant relationship. Consider um, the ways that, that in, in the New Testament it talks about the relationship of, of the church to her leaders, if you will. Um, look first at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. It's going to sound like I'm getting uh, a bit on a bandwagon, so to speak, you know. You hear those preachers who preach the same things over and over. Um, and, and maybe I am, and maybe I'm being a little bit judgmental, and I hope if you feel that I am that way, that you will grace me and you will forgive me. But I got a problem with tele-evangelists and people committing to them over the local church. Someone is, is called to watch over you somebody's called to take care of you. Not just to love you, but to help you, to walk with you, to be committed to being there for you when you need them. 
And my friend, the tele-evangelist, isn't going to do that. Perhaps they have their place. I'm, I'm not decrying all tele-evangelists here. But I'm saying that, that when the church, the, the body of Christ begins to move to, to pouring their resources into these ministries that are doing this kind of ministry on the, on the airwaves at the expense of the local church where they're sitting and expecting to be ministered to, there is a problem that is going on there. Because when you're sick, or when you're hurting, or when your family is, 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 is scattered or fragmented in some way, when you're going through your bout of depression, when you're, you're being buffeted with temptation and, and those kinds of things, when stuff is going on in your life, that tele-evangelist isn't going to come along beside you. He or she isn't going to put their arm around you and say, hey, let me walk with you, let me hold you up. I'll, I'll hold, maybe you can't walk right now, but I'll walk with you. I'll put my arms around you and I will pick you up and I will hold you. That is what a shepherd does. If the sheep can't walk, then he carries them. And he may do that in a literal kind of way, but he's certainly going to do it in prayer. And you need to know that you have that kind of relationship. You need to know that that is going on in your life. Because as leaders, we are submitted to doing that, all right? We are committed to keeping watch over your soul. We do not take it lightly when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ here in this church because we know that it is a matter of souls. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. God, God intends for this to be a labor for you. God has put individuals in your life to labor among you, to, to care about you and, and to work alongside you in your faith and in your journey. And as you are are in your formation of your faith. These are the men and women who come along beside you and, 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 and with sagely advice and with care and, and with exhortation, uh, they try to inspire you to, to, to live for God and to sacrifice and to give and, and, and to be all that, that you can be in the kingdom of God. One more. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. We have a responsibility to preach to you and to teach you, to share the word of God, to break the bread of life with you. It is our responsibility to, to, to do that and to do that with truth and with care, but also with, with boldness and with correction. And so when you come in here, you need to understand that you have pastors who, who are preaching the truth of God's word to you. All right? You need to know, you need to be confident that, that that is happening. And therefore, you can submit. You can follow. You can obey. And I know that there are churches where there are abusive things that have happened. I was just studying for this and... and on the internet in various places, and oh, there's just some sick stuff out there, and pastors being called out for being abusive, and they are literally abusive to, to their uh, their congregations. I don't, I don't, I don't want that for anyone. 
And I realize that there's some of that kind of stuff out there. But you know what? We've got some elders set up in this church to protect you. We've got some elders here to make sure that, that, that there is not an ounce of manipulation on the part of your pastors. That we're not going to try to manipulate you and, and force things upon you and coerce things upon you. Now, we're going to challenge you like we did in Swaziland sacrificial giving. You know, and, and, and I don't think we did too bad a job there. I don't, I don't think we came across too harsh. Um, but we did sort of, you know, sort of place a demand on us corporately as a body and everyone in that body, not just covenant members. You know, give sacrificially. Do something that's going to cost you something. Make a difference here. And we came through, and that project is just about finished. We're going to show you a video in the next few weeks that's going to show you how amazing the transformation has been there. Because we gave sacrificially. You listened to the leaders, and you responded appropriately. All right? Now, maybe some of you felt a little bit coerced, but you need to once in a while. You know, you just need to. You know, we'll apologize, and, and we'll all get over it. You know, but every once in a while, you just need to, you know, you need a little push, you know, uh, to, to, to do that extra, you know. And we're comfort creatures, aren't we? You know, so we need, we need some leadership. We need some good, solid leadership who's not afraid to do that, you know. I told you today, you need to go to the baptism. You need to go. If you don't go, do you have to miss church next Sunday because I'm not going to love you anymore? No, of course not. We're not talking about legalism here. We're talking about, I can't remember the term I used with you, Nathan, but we were talking about some type of, of sort of um, intentional persuasion uh, to, to get people to do certain things in the, in the church. Nathan's really great about it. He's such a trooper to, 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 to do that. And he preached a wonderful sermon for you uh, that we really did try to, you know, we wanted him to do it, not us. Okay. <laughs> And then he did a fabulous job. You know what I'm talking about. How is, how is this type of leadership we're talking about here and, and this type of submission that's described in these passages, how's it going to work if there is no membership defining who has made the commitment to be led and who has been chosen as the, the leaders? And, and frankly, I think if we downplay the importance of membership, it's difficult to see how we could take these commands to submit and, and to lead so seriously and even see them as practical for us. There has to be some type of dynamic of joining, becoming in, in covenant with one another for this to be the case. I hope I'm building my case well for you here this, this morning. Let, let me point out a little, let me go a little bit further with this, 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 that shepherds are required to care for their flock. I've already, I've already touched on it here, but I want, I want to take that a little bit further. Because I think that that, that, that has to mean that, that church membership is, is necessary, all right? And I want you to see the benefit of that. Um, especially in, in the way the New Testament requires elders and pastors to take care of the flock. That, that has been put in their charge. And, and of course... Elders and pastors can extend their love. Please understand what, what I'm saying here. I can extend my love to anyone and everyone, and I should within the limits of my ability to do so. But the question is, is whether the Bible is telling elders that they are to have a special responsibility and care for a certain group or a group of members. And I think that it is. 
So let's go to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And Paul speaks to the elders there about how to care for the flock. And he says there, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. How valuable you are. Your identity is not in your pastor. It is in Jesus Christ alone. He has saved you. He bought you with His shed blood. He has redeemed you and forgiven you and He's taken care of all of that. It's a done deal. It's finished, if you will. And so now we have the responsibility of engaging with one another in this thing we call the church that is a relational unit, a group of people together. And some of us are given that responsibility and that charge to look out after you, to look out for you, to look over you, have oversight of you, if you will. If you're not a covenant member, I I, I am going to love you anyway. this verse doesn't say that elders cannot visit unbelievers or those who are not yet members or anything like that. Please don't misunderstand what we're saying here. But it does make it clear, I think, here that that the pastor's first responsibility is to a particular flock of people. And how are we to know who you are, this flock of ours? Who are we as, as, as elders and pastors? How are we to know who we're responsible for? for whom we are to give an account to God. Now here's my conviction in this matter. It is first and foremost covenant members. doesn't mean anyone else is any less or of any less value. But I have a responsibility to those who are in covenant with me to pastor and shepherd them and to to love them and, and care about them and bless them. Now hold on just a second. That doesn't mean you get everything you want. All right? Please, whatever church you're in and wherever you attend and go, and some of you, there will be a time that will come where you will go to another church somewhere else. Heaven forbid. No, teasing you. Not at all. Sometimes we have to release you to go where God wants you to go. And we're a sending out church. We send people all over the place. And it's a good thing to do. But how are we going to know who you are that we, we have been entrusted to take care of and that we're going to stand before God and give an account for her? If there isn't some kind of system that helps us to know that, and I believe that you who are covenant members, you are my first responsibility. You have come into relationship with me to pastor you and, and to love you and to care about you and to watch over you and to guard you. I take that really seriously. This is why Pastor Dave and I have meetings with you. This is why we, we, we email you and text you and see how you're doing and what's going on. We're not meddlers. We don't have a great need to, to, to know about all the details of your life. But we have a need to know that your life is in order with God. Because that is our responsibility as we are loving you. Peter uh, 
speaks to it even more clearly, or at least speaks to this point even more clearly in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to your flock, to the flock. We're called to get in there with you. We're called to be in this thing together. And, and I, I want to challenge you and I. See, those in my charge, my portion, my lot, that implies that, that, that myself as an elder pastor, in, in, and in particular the pastors for sure, that, that we need to know whom we are responsible for. And I think this is, honestly is just another way of talking about membership. If a person does not want to be held accountable by a group of elders or to be a special focus of the care of, of a group of elders and pastors, uh, they will resist the idea of membership. They will resist God's uh, appointed way for them to live and to be sustained in their faith. Now, this is my belief. This is my conviction that I'm about to say to you. Um, I, I believe that if we resist becoming a part of a local church in membership, we rob ourselves of the opportunity to thrive in the safest system conducted or conducive for the greatest growth that will produce our highest effectiveness. I, I want to say that again, and I'm not saying because I wrote it, but, but I, I, I think it's right, and I want, to, I want to say it to you again. This is Pastor Bill's belief, all right? I believe that if we resist becoming part of a local church in membership, we rob ourselves of the opportunity to thrive in the safest system that is conducive for the greatest growth producing our highest effectiveness. I want you affected. I want you bearing fruit. I, fruit that will last. I, I, want, I want you doing the, 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 the work of the kingdom. This is important, all right? I want to go back and visit this metaphor of the body. This metaphor of the body is, is, is just great. And I want to go back to, to 1 Corinthians. and just have, I read it to you. Let's think about it as I talk to you here. The, the, the original word or the original meaning of the word member is meaning member of a body like a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear. And that's the imagery that's behind the word member in the text that I started with. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Pastor Dave always tries to get me to change the membership covenant title. He wants me to change. He doesn't want to call it membership covenant. Now, keep in mind that he's a great C.S. Lewis fan. But he wants me to call it organship covenant. But it ain't going to happen. <laughs> we are not going around going, you need to, you need to come into organship. <laughs> that is not going to happen in life church, okay? All right. But, that's, but the idea is, it, a part of the body isn't easily discarded, thrown away, taken. It doesn't get to just exit. This is not something you enter into lightly. So when you come into the body, you're saying, I'm needed, I belong, I am a part. 
And I know that imagery and, and, and analogies can break down if you go too far with them. But, but I, I really believe that, that there is tremendous, tremendous insight into this particular passage and this metaphor of the body. You are a part. You belong. All right? So, so the question that this imagery here raises for the, for the local church, I think, for you and I in life church that, that Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians 12 is this. Who intends to be treated as a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear of this body? Who? There's a unity. There's this, this wonderful relationship that's implied in this imagery. And I believe it's those who are covenant members, those who say, yes, I, I am intentional about belonging. I publicly promise, I identify that I have this kind of a relationship. And, and honestly, I think there's something a little bit unnatural about a Christian attaching himself to a body of believers and not being a member of that body. It's not quite the same. I remember a few months ago, you may have seen it as well, there was a situation where a, a man lost his, I believe it was his thumb, and, uh, and, and his arm was, was mangled, and they wanted to save this thumb that was good. It was in good shape, except that it was no longer attached. And they wanted to save it. And so what they actually did is they attached it to his heel. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. But they, they, they made an incision and they attached it so it would continue to thrive until they could get his hand straightened out. I don't know the end of the whole story and how successful it all was. Um, I don't know why I told you that. I just think that's just really, <laughs> really interesting. It's just something that's unique about, marvelous about the human body. Nathan's going to go over there and cut it. What I'm trying to say to you is, is that I think there's a natural flow to this thing of being church members. I think there's a natural flow of this thing of becoming identifiable with the body. I think there's a natural sense. Of, there's a natural place and a natural belonging. You don't need to be misplaced. You don't, you don't need to be something you're not. We're not asking you to be anything that you're not. Just be the part that you're supposed to be. And get in and join and say, yes, I realize this. You know, after the tragic end of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, verse 13, it said that, that the non-Christians, uh, they just, none of them dared to join them. All right? But, but, people esteemed them very highly, those who were preaching and the, the, the gospel. And, and the Greek word there for join in that place, is, it, it has such strong connotations to commitment. It's the very same word, that same word for join there that says they wouldn't join those in the church. But there were people being added to the church daily who were believing, who were accepting Christ, but others would not join them. They would not come in with them because they were not of them. All right? And, the, and that same word is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, both verse 16, uh, which talks about the joining uh, uh, in, in sexual relationships and the danger of, of, of that whole thing, and in verse 17 of the joining with the Lord. And the idea there is that your body is not your own. 
So for these reasons, and I think there's probably more, the pastors of Life Church believe that membership is a New Testament expectation of all believers. And each of us should be a member of a local body. And if you're not, this isn't to condemn you this, this, this in, in, in no way, shape, or form. But I believe it is in your best interest to become a member of the local church and commit yourself to the body. And I believe that you will flourish so much more if you do that. I want to close by urging you to pray and to think this through for your own life. The New Testament knows of no Christians who are not accountable members of local bodies in the sense that we have just seen through what I've shared with you. Um, I believe that Lone Ranger Christians is just really a contradiction of this meaning to be united with with Christ and with, with God's people. Douglas Miller has this quote. He says, In the New Testament, there is no such person as a Christian who is not a church member. Conversion was described as the Lord adding to the church, Acts 2.47. And this is the, the point that he makes, and I love it. He says, there just was no spiritual drifting. Nobody just hanging out there on their own. Let me ask you some probing questions. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? We'll be done here. Are you an accountable member of a local congregation, a local church? If not, why? Not just is your name somewhere, but folks, are you committed to to discipline and being disciplined according to the biblical standards? And Have you publicly declared your willingness to be shepherded and to be led by leaders? Do you see yourself and your gifts as part of a, a community and, and that you have a responsibility and ability to minister in the body? Do you show a firm attachment to the body of Christ? Do you show a firm attachment to Christ himself? If not, I would like to ask you to, to explain to yourself why not. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And I would encourage you to talk to me or Pastor Dave. Let us uh, help you to make that step. Father, bless us and help us to see your will for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.